So it's, uh, it's football season. And you all know I love my football. I like my NFL. I like my college. I mean, last night, unfortunately, Minnesota lost. I was really wanting Minnesota to win. They're the same division as the Lions, and my Lions stink. So I at least got to cheer on Minnesota. But they lose. They got trashed. And my wife said, I'm going to bed. I said, I'm going to watch a little football. Well, all of a sudden, a little football became longer and longer. I'm not going to bed because I like my football too much watching that game. And so this story that I came across was really interesting to me. And I researched and went, this is like a true story about a football game like I've never seen before or experienced before. It was in 1988 when Tishel Mingo High School in Mississippi was playing its rival Faulkner. And they were playing, and Tishel Mingo had an 18 to 16 lead with seven, seven seconds left in the game. And they were on the 40-yard line of their opponent. Now, most of us, we know with seven seconds left and you have a two-point lead, let's just take a knee and end the game. Let's just wrap it up and let's be all done. But Tishel Mingle was in a three-way tie to get in the 1A Mississippi High School playoffs. And the way they ran their high school playoffs back in 1988, points were of importance. And so it wasn't like we just had to have a winning record. Well, we also have to have so many points. If they won the game by two points, the season would be over. They were done because they would not advance to the playoffs. They had to win by at least four points over Faulkner. And so the coach is thinking, what am I going to do here? I, I, I have a quarterback who's a good quarterback. He doesn't have a really strong arm. I don't think he can make a Hail Mary all the way to the end zone. And so how are we going to handle that? And if we try to do some kind of trick running play, the chance of getting that ball to the end zone is going to be pretty slim. And so Coach Dave Herbert, he, he thought of a different kind of play that most of us probably have never seen. I know I never saw it watching my son play football for the last eight years. He called in a play that told him to hand off the, the ball to the running back and have the running back run 60 yards back or go to the end zone and take a knee, which would ultimately result in a safety. Now, any of us that are football fans, we know if that were to happen, we'd be going crazy. If one day you look up at UK and you're like, why are they going the wrong way? We'd all be the stadium be going nuts. No, turn the other way, go the other way. We'd think, think someone's lost their mind. So he ends up running the hand, hand the football off um, to Shane Hill, their running back. He runs 60 yards the wrong way, takes a knee. He ended up having negative 27 yards rushing that day. When he called the play in, there was, you could see the argument within the within the huddle. Like, no, we're not going to do that. Not only was the quarterback trying to obey his coach, he was trying to obey his dad because his dad was the coach. And I'm sure in his mind, he's like, come on, guys, we've got to do it. My dad called it. No, your dad's crazy. We're not going to do this. There's no way we're going we're gonna to follow this play. No, we've got to do this. And there's a penalty that's called delay of game. So they back up five yards. Well, they call the play, hand the football off. And you know, the quarterback could have said, no, guys, my dad's out of his mind. Here's the play. I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, back in the day, here's the play. I'm drawing up on my hand. We're going to do this, this, and this, and try to get the end zone. Could have very easily done that. He could have handed the football off to the running back, and the running back could have took it all on his own and said, forget that. I'm not following that play. He could have tried to figure it all by himself. They could have done a lot of different ways and said, we're not following the coach. But they followed the coach. Run the football back there. Two-point safety. Game's tied. They go into overtime. And they win in overtime by scoring a touchdown go on in state playoffs. True story. Now, that's not normal. Absolutely not normal, but it paid off. They did something weird in order to win. They went against culture. They went against the norm in order to win the game. I started this year with this sermon series asking us, church, to stop being normal and make the choice to do something weird and live for Jesus. And today I want to dive in deeper. 
The mission of our church, which we kind of retooled and brought out last fall, to help people find and follow Jesus. If we're going to be successful at our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, then we must be weird. We're going to have to be weird. We're being called to live differently. We're being called to be radical. What I'm talking about is one of the ways that we follow Jesus, and it just doesn't always make sense to the world. But sometimes when we go against the world, people say, you're weird. You're not following the norm. Why are you doing it that way? But if we're going to really live out our mission and we're going to learn how we follow Jesus and we're going to do that together and you're going to do that in your homes, then it takes some weirdness. In our text today, we're going to look at another passage that contains the words of Jesus. And Jesus sharing, here's what I want from you as followers of God. It's going to sound a little weird. He's talking about the topic of worry. And in our culture, worrying is pretty normal. Pretty normal, but we don't want to be normal. I want you to choose to be weird. Jesus tells us how to do that. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, part of the famous Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus says, let me tell you how to live life. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow and they do not labor or spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what, that you need them. You notice he's talking about things that, that uh, need, food, clothing. I think you could apply shelter in there. He's just talking about daily stuff that we deal with today. And then he says, but... Whenever you see the word but in Scripture, you have to open your eyes and go, okay, something's kind of coming. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So they're worrying about things of this earth. The clothing, the house, the food, finances. How do we deal with all this? Why We're freaking out over it. And I think in our Christian world, we kind of group sins into two categories. We have a group of sin that we all would agree and say, that's sin, that's not of God. And then we have this group over here that's kind of like, yeah, yeah it's kind of sin, but, you know, we can overlook it. That's, it's just normal things of life. What I'm talking about is like, if I said to you, is murder sin? Some of you are still not sure. You're like, Okay, we'll have that Bible study later. If I said to you, stealing is sin. Yeah, it's sin. If I said to you, adultery is sin. Absolutely. We all agree. In our culture, what's happened over the last several decades is that thing of, of absolute agreement is smaller. It's gotten smaller. So there's some still where like, yes. But now if I gave you another list, you may say, hmm, well, eh, not sure. But here, here's some others that we would say, are these sins gluttony, gossip, unforgiveness? 
They fall in this category of things like, yeah, that's sin, but it's also normal. It's normal. Let's go to the buffet, pull up, let's just dig in and get all we can get, right? It's, it's all right. That's normal. It's normal to, to gossip. Now, hey, I'm going to tell you something. Now, you're not going to share it with anybody else, right? Mm. You know, as soon as someone starts that, you should be walking away with that conversation. But it's normal in our society. Yeah, gossip, that's okay. Unforgiveness, uh, yeah, you know what? You did me wrong. You're on my bad side. Once they've wronged me once, you're not getting back on my good side. Oh, yeah, I understand that, man. If they treated me that way, I wouldn't forgive them either. It's kind of normal. Worry falls into that category. It falls in that category of going, wait a minute, you're worrying about this, you're worrying about that. I mean, when's the last time we've had a sermon on gluttony? I don't think I could go through my files and find one. Because those are things we've accepted as normal, but God doesn't want us to be normal. He wants us to be weird. And according to the Bible, all of them are sins, but according to people, they would never consider some of them. They'd say, well, it's just normal, so we can give a pass on some of these things. No, it's not normal to myrtle, but yet, yeah, it's normal to go ahead and be a glutton. So we give a pass. Today, I want to focus in on this idea of worry. And I totally get that worrying is normal. I grew up with a mom that was a worry wart, and I teach her about it. And so I've inherited that, and I have to, have to work with God to, to not be a worrier myself. I want to encourage you, though, not to be normal anymore. Not be normal about all this stuff that we deal with, houses and cars and clothing and food, things that we start worrying about. Why? Because worrying is worrying about the future, and that's sin. And God doesn't want us to live in sin. He wants to live in his plan and his purpose. Corey Ten Boom said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It just empties today of its strength. Let that sit in for a minute. Wait a minute. If I'm worrying, it doesn't take care of tomorrow. But today, I'm weak. Some of us are stuck where we are because we live in a life of worry. And Jesus said, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, drink, about your body, what you'll wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. For the pagans, who are the pagans? Who are the pagans? Unbelievers, people living of the world, people who don't know God. For the pagans run after all these things. They're like, I'm going to chase this down. I can handle all of it. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he said, don't be like them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's like, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the normal crowd. Live a life that is weird. See, it's normal to read those verses, though, and think, well, I guess if I don't have to worry about my food, I don't have to worry about my clothes, then why do I need to work? God's got it all. Nothing to worry about. Why do I need to save? God's got it all, nothing to worry about. Why do I have to worry about being a good steward? I'm not going not to worry about it. That's how some have interpreted that passage. They go, well, God's got it all. There's nothing for me to do. So God, you just rain down blessing, and I'm okay. That's a poor interpretation of that passage of Scripture, I'm going to say. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you don't have to worry. In fact, if you do worry, that's sin. However, remember last week we talked about if we're going to go on this journey and embrace being weirdos together, it takes walking in faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Impossible. So if we're going to say, all right, I'm going to be weird in this, 
In the society we live in, I have to have faith. We're going to have to trust God. That's where it all begins. Proverbs chapter 3 says what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So in other words, we have two choices. We can either walk by faith or we can walk in worry. We can either trust God or we can choose worry. And if worry is normal, which is sin, and we're saying don't be normal, trust God. We're saying I, I want to walk on that journey. Let me just ask real quick, show of hands, how many people here are willing to be weird this year? Some of you are not sure. Most of you are. You're like, yeah, I can, I can embrace weirdness. I hope so because I don't want to be the only weirdo in the church. You're like, well, maybe you're going to be there anyway because we'll be weird, but maybe not that weird. So what's the question we should be asking right now? How? How do I combat this temptation to live a life of worry? Because that's what we're drawn towards. That's the normalcy of our society that everyone accepts and says it's okay. But if I say, you know what? I'm willing to be weird. I want to grow there. Well, how then do I do that so I'm not a worrier? Well, Scripture speaks to this in a couple different areas. One is we have to learn to work hard and save for the future. Proverbs chapter 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. In other words, turn over some dirt and see what the ants are doing. It has no, no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, there are some obvious principles from this passage that we can learn from the ants. Because when I read that, what God's telling me are the ants are actually smarter than us people. And if we look at the life of an ant, we go, wow, I can pick up some things from that little tiny bug in the ground. What is some things we can learn? Well, hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says, if anyone is not willing to work, don't let them eat. That's a tough passage. If they're not willing to go to work, earn an income, then let their bellies become empty so they get hungry enough so that hopefully they will want to go to work. Moms and dads raising kids, especially teenage kids. That's some great wisdom right there. You know how you get them out of your house? If they don't get a job, tell them the refrigerator's locked. And I'm serious. Some people say, Brian, you're mean. No, that's not mean. That's the Bible. Now, if your kids are capable and they're getting 20, 21, 22, 25, they're like, well, I'm dead. I don't want to get a job. I can't find a job. If you lock the refrigerator on them, I bet they'll find a job. They'll find a way to make some money. And if you do that for a while and you say, now, hold on a minute. If I take that passage further... That means if you don't work, that means you don't have electricity and water and heat and a roof over your head, because I think that applies, when they don't want to leave your house and you're like, you're, you're like 32, you're still living in my basement. And they don't want to get a job, eventually the roof comes off their head because they need to pay for it. Now that's if they're able. Okay, don't read it every, there are times, there's mental health conditions, there's health, other health conditions, there are struggles we walk through in life that sometimes i got to bring my kid home. Sometimes i got to help them get on their feet. But ultimately, we want them to be able to work and be able to get on their own and provide for themselves. And all of us should have that goal. 
all of us should be working towards that in our own lives. Now, whenever we harvest, though, we're supposed to give something back to God. Guess when your harvest is? Some of you are like, I don't harvest anything. I, no, I don't have a garden. I've tried. I kill everything. Some of you are probably good. You're like, I get some tomatoes off my harvest, or I get a little bit of corn. All of us have a harvest. It's called our paycheck. If you work and you receive a paycheck, that's your harvest. I put in work. Once I put in work, my employer gives me a paycheck. I just harvested my, my investment of time. We're not used to the farming terminology, and so we have to bring it today. But you know what we do with our harvest many times? We eat it, we drink it, we spend it, and we use all of it, and then we worry how I'm going to have enough to pay my bills. I got paid on Friday. Oh, good, let's go out. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And then Tuesday comes, we're like, I don't have money. Because we live in a world that lives what? Paycheck to, that's normal. Living paycheck to paycheck. That's what our world teaches us. But we want to be weird. And weird people do a couple things when they receive their harvest. One is, they bring the first fruits back to God. They know where the harvest comes from. They say, you know what? The Lord provided me this job. Or the Lord provided these crops. And I want to bring back to the Lord because I believe in His Lordship, His, His direction on my life, and so I'm going to give back to Him. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then, He says, you honor God first. And He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting in wine. Now, most of us probably don't have, have barns and most of us probably don't have vats. But what that means is when you do that, then maybe your car will drive longer. Then maybe God will surprise you with the bill to get paid. Then maybe some groceries will show up. Show up. Then maybe the job promotion comes. Then, but many times you say, oh, no, I can't, I'm sure, you know, and we're wondering why we're struggling, why we're struggling when we haven't honored God first. People who are wise, people who are, are weird with the harvest, not only do they bring the first fruits, but they put something back for the future when there is no harvest. Proverbs chapter 3 or chapter 13 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. There is a chance that there may not be a harvest in your life at some point. Some of you already walked through that. You lose a job. Well, are you prepared for that? Are you putting some money back little by little? Or retirement to come down the road? Are you putting some money back little by little? You, you know what's a fun thing to do? At least for me, it's fun. Get on a computer. Go to Google and look up an investment calculator. And sometimes I'll do this just for fun. I'll put in, I'll say, okay, let me put in $1,000 in an investment calculator. And I'm going to put in, say, 20 bucks a month at a 5% interest. And I'll look at it because it, it charts it out and gives you all these graphs and says, well, if you do that, that money just grew to this. And you have a lot of fun in going, man, if I had $10,000, I put that in. And let me start putting $100 a week in. How would it grow? And you can have a lot of fun doing that. It's amazing how you just add a little bit to a little bit to a little bit to a little bit. All of a sudden, you can say, wow, that nest egg. It gives you a vision. You know what? If I just start putting some money away, some things could be really well for me down the road. Matter of fact, we believe in that principle here at the church, and we've had some savings, but we haven't been able to add to the savings, paying up. We had enough to kind of cover, but we thought, you know what? It's time to add some more savings this year, and we need to be prepared for emergency. When the air condition breaks, I don't think you all want me coming back here and say, hey, church, air condition broke, break, it's going to be really hot in here. We need to raise $15,000. You'd be like, wait, we've been given an offering. Has your finance team not prepared for that? You'd be concerned. So this year, we have a goal to, to put $10,000 away into our uh, our, just our emergency fund. And that was built into our budget. And so as I was talking to Stephen Horn, treasurer who's 
who's taking a, his break now and talking with our new treasurer, Ryan Hackman, we said, let's do forced savings. Let's have every single week some money be, be deposited immediately at emergency fund. You know what? If you do forced savings in your house, you're like, I'm not saving much. Start doing 10 bucks a week. All of a sudden, 10 bucks a week, you won't even, you won't even miss it. And 10 bucks a week can become 15 bucks a week, and 15 can become 20. And all of a sudden, you have some savings set, of time, set, set aside for when the harvest is gone. What do you want to be? Do you want to be normal or do you want to be weird? That's the question. Do you understand what weird people have figured out? Here's what weird people have figured out that are followers of Jesus, that this is the goal of life, that we work hard, we tithe, we put money back to our future, and you make your money work for you. When you trust God and you work hard and you put money aside, it's amazing how it will grow. And that's very biblical. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. So in other words, there's a fine balance between looking ahead and saying, I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm going to do some planning for it. I'm going to follow biblical principles so that I'm looking ahead and I'm preparing for some things that could possibly come, but I'm not going to freak out and get stressed out and get sick over it. Here's a second way to combat worry. You've got to do it God's way and your needs for the future will be supplied. See, the normal way of us doing things is coming up with our own plan or following the plan of our parents. And unfortunately, sometimes we look at the plan of our parents and we go, that didn't work out so well for them. Now, some, we've been blessed. We go, they had a great plan, and I'm following it, and they had a biblical plan. But normal is broke, and we create our own plan, and we end up being broke. In the USA Today, about a year ago, there's an article that said the average monthly Social Security check is $1,404. And I know that's true because my mom gets a Social Security check and I know what that is. And, and more than 40% of senior adults, though, receive more than 90% of their income from that check. 40% of senior adults get 90%. So basically, most of their income comes from that Social Security check. Now, the percentage of families 75 and older with debt, though, has increased 60% between 2007 and 2016. How is it those who are 75 and older, their debt has increased, and they're basically 40% of them living off their Social Security check? That's normal in our society. And becoming more normal, but normal's broke, and normal's not working. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, there's a couple things. Did they prepare when they were younger? Did they look down the road to the future and go, what's going to happen? Am I going to live on Social Security, or there's other ways to plan for that time? But also, there's a high rise of seniors dealing with Student loan debt. You're like, what? Yeah, the number of Social Security recipients who are 65 and older who had their Social Security check reduced because their student loans debt has increased by more than 500% between 2002 and 2015. What? Why is that? Because when they were somewhere in their 40s or 50s, they said, well, I go back to college. I got to get a degree. And they went back to college and got a degree and came out and they could not get work in their field, not, didn't pay them enough, and they had forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of debt. How are we going to pay for that on a student loan? And then they retire at 65 or looking at retirement. They start getting a Social Security check. And you know what our government does? Our government says, you pay me first. So that Social Security check may go from $1,400 a month to maybe $800 a month or $600 a month. And they're like, how can I do this? And then what happens? Mom and Dad, you can't afford it. Move back in with me. It's a mess that we're in today. And it's because we rely upon the government's plan for the future. And we rely upon the government's plan for the future. You know what that means? Bad news. Never rely upon the government. Our government right now has us in $23 trillion of debt. That makes me sick to even think about it. 
And I by no means have any idea how to figure that out. I don't. I, I don't know how to correct that. There's a lot of people who, they're smart, and they're trying to figure that out. But that's a mess. Our country's broke. And I don't care what side of the aisle you fall upon. I don't care if you are Republican. I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you're independent. I don't care what title you carry. Here's the truth of the matter. Our government doesn't know what they're doing when it comes to managing money. You know who does know what they're doing? God. And he has given us a plan. And as long as I follow his plan, no matter what our government does, I don't have to worry about it. I can say, you know what? You can take my whole Social Security check. You know, $1,400 a month. Now, those who are like 50 and younger, and you're thinking, well, I'll get my Social Security check, and I'll get this. Who This Social Security check may not be there. may not be there. I have 18 years until 65. I do not calculate in a Social Security check of any kind thinking about retirement. If it's there, great. I'll take some money. If it's not there, won't take any money. But if I rely upon God's plan, following his directions, I don't need to worry about it. But if we want to follow normal, we follow the government's plan, social security checks. Actually, do you want to be weird? Who wants to be weird in here today? It takes weirdness to walk in Jesus. See, here's what happens. Some people think that they come to worship on Sunday. They come in here and hear a sermon, sing some songs. Maybe the songs were great that day and the sermon was very average or the songs were okay and the preaching was better that day. And then we come to a time of offering and we're like, oh yeah, it's time to give. Did I, did I bring some money with me? Oh, look, I got a $20 bill. I'll drop that in a plate. Hear a message, go home and go, yeah, it's good. It's a good day. Gave God an offering, $20, and sang some songs. It was okay. That's not God's plan. God has a very direct plan. Proverbs 21 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. That's a hasty plan. Just kind of give, kind of here and there, what do I have left over? Proverbs 21 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. See, if you never spend everything you have, always spend less than you have, and always, then you'll always have more than enough, and you'll always have some left over but you'll always have something saved for the future. We need to put God first and then put our future second. We save something every week. Now, this is weird. Philippians chapter 4 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we got to understand that passage. If I just read that, you go, well, what exactly does that mean? There's a key word there that says, and which means there's something going on before that. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them, thank you for your faithful giving. Thank you for supporting the work of God because you've been giving. I've been able to make, make my mission work go because you put God first. He says, God will supply everything of your needs. And so Paul's encouraging them and saying, you put God first. See, in the previous verse, that's what God is saying. You, you've blessed. God is going to bless you because you've been a blessing to me. And how you have put God first, which leads me to a third way to combat worry, which is God must be first in your life if you're going to succeed. He's got to be first. If we want God to do something, then we have to do something first. In our culture, that sounds weird, though. 
Put God first. Listen to God. Let some guy who you can't see, who you can't touch, who you can't feel, let him direct you how to live your life. That's weird in our culture. But instead of being normal, we want to be weird. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know why broke is normal? Broke is normal because so many people put other things, even themselves, first before God. Well, God, you know, I, I'm sitting down, I'm going to pay my bills today, but if I have a little, I'll send you some. Versus, God, you get it first, and then I'll go and take care of everything else. I want you to notice something in Scripture. Exodus 13. Now, this is before the law was given. God said, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open, the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So before the law is given, God clearly and plainly declares that the firstborn is mine. It belongs to him. And then there's 16 other times in Scripture where he declares firstborn or the firstness. And Jesus was God's firstborn. So then you go over to Romans chapter 8, and God gave Jesus in faith and says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this idea of firstness or firstborn is threaded throughout Scripture. And the first always belongs to God. You say, why is that? Because he is always to have first place in our lives. You go to the Ten Commandments. What is it? It starts off with no other gods before me. What? I want to be first. And that's his position. When the Israelites come to the promised land, the first city they faced was Jericho. So they faced Jericho, and God gave strict instructions. Now, when you take over the city, you're not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. This is a great story. I encourage you to read it. Joshua chapter 6. All of it belonged to him. The Lord declared, what you take out of the seas, when you get gold and you get silver and you get all the, all the goods, I want you to bring that back to me. Why? Because it was the first city in a promised land that they took over. It was the first fruits. God was saying, bring the silver, bring that gold Jericho. And then he says, you can have all the rest. He didn't say, you conquer 10 cities. You know, when you go and study it, there's 10, 10 cities they conquer. Ten individual cities they actually conquer. He didn't say, you will conquer those ten cities, and then when you're all done with that, you bring me some leftover. No, he said, you take that first city, bring it to me. The other nine, you know what they got to do with it? Put it in their, into their pockets. Put it into their life. They got a chance to use it. He said, it's yours. Go, go build homes. Go get set up. Go establish your new territory. They, they did that. He said, you give me the first, and you can have the rest. That took faith. It took a ton of faith, and so does tithing. When you give a tithe, 10% of your income, I made mean $100 this week, 10% goes back to God. I made mean $3,000 this week, $300 go back to God. I made mean $60,000 this week or this month. Well, that means $6,000 go back to God. When you trust God in the tithe, you're saying, God, I'm putting you first. Now, I know what's going to happen. Every time I preach on money and I talk about tithing, I either get an email, I get a phone call, I get a, can we have a coffee chat, or it's on the way out the door, and someone will say, preacher, that's Old Testament. Can't preach tithing, there's no way, that's Old Testament. And basically what they're saying is, pastor, this doesn't apply anymore and you don't know the scripture. And I'm willing to have those conversations with you. I'm, I'm old enough and broad enough shoulders, I can handle that. 
But the more I study it, the more I'm convicted. Here's my question to those who would contend the principle of the tithe is no longer active. And you say, oh, I can set that aside. It's not important. If God declares in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, that I, the Lord, do not change three verses before he says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, then when did God change? He didn't change. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. So that theme of God not changing is the Old Testament and New Testament. But now, here's something else to consider. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is in the home of the Pharisees, and he's telling them that he spends all his time making sure that he does the right thing. But Lord, I take and I do all this right stuff, but his heart isn't right. And in verse 42, look at what Jesus says to him. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. These are the people that would, if you got paid, uh, you know, $112.62, you're like, what's 10% of that? And you gave it to the penny. They were like, I'm, I'm strict with this. I'll do that to the dime, right down, right down to the one cent. And But Jesus looking at them saying, wait a minute, you're being mean to people and you're, you're holding things over people. No, you still need to love, you still need to practice mercy, you still need to practice justice, but at the same time, you still tithe. Back to me, you, you keep both. See, the tithe, the firstborn, the first fruits, they all, belong to, they all belong to the Lord. And we look at that and we say, well, that's law. No, it, it isn't law. It's an unchanging principle established by an unchanging God. You honor me first, your barns will be filled. Your vats will be overflowing. And if someone says, but, but we're under grace now. And that's a big one in the church. We're under grace. We live under grace. And so, even though I'm under grace, you know, I know that's his principle. And you can ignore the principles of God. That's totally your choice. Totally your choice. We say, I'm, I'm under grace now. I don't have to do that. Well, there's a lot of things that were under the law that continue to be principles with God. For example, would you agree that someone who said because adultery was forbidden under law is now acceptable under grace? You wouldn't, would you? You'd be like, where's he at or where's she at? I'm going to practice some law on you right now. You know that. Or because stealing was forbidden under the law, would you say, oh, now it's acceptable under grace? Someone came in your house and said, man, I like that TV. And they're running out the door, and you're like, that's my TV. No, I'm under grace. You'd be like, get back here. I'm coming after you. You're not taking my TV. And if you've ever been stolen from, someone's ever broken your house, broken your car, you know you don't live under grace. You're like, go find that person, I want my stuff back. See, there are eternal principles throughout the Word of God, and tithing is clearly one of them. It's a principle that runs from Genesis to Revelation. The tithe belongs to God. The firstborn belongs to God. The first fruits belong to God. That we put God first in all areas of life. There's a very popular restaurant chain in this world, fast food restaurant chain that is growing by leaps and bounds. You know what it is? You know what it is? Chick-fil-A. Last I checked, it was like second or third on the, you know, the, the list of fastest growing, most sales and all that kind of stuff. I, there's a reason why I believe they're, they're growing by leaps and bounds. They're always closed on Sundays. Isn't that weird? I remember when Chick-fil-A was first started. I was in Bible college, and they were opening up Chick-fil-A's in just the malls. That's the only thing. They never had a self-standing one. They were just in the malls. 
And the stories would go around about Chick-fil-A saying, we're going to go to a mall, we're going to place at the food court. And they were told, you'll never survive doing that. You've got to be open on Sunday. There's no way. And you would go to the food court on a Sunday. You know, you're like, oh, there's shopping. You're like, man, I'm hungry. And they'd look over, Chick-fil-A, all black. Lights are turned off. It's all dark, and everybody else is selling along. And now Chick-fil-A has exploded all over the place, all, all, around, all around the world now. And they're always closed on Sundays. Or the majority of the restaurants are open on Sunday. You ever notice how many restaurants are opening and closing in Lexington? They run articles about that kind of stuff all the time around here. That restaurant open, that restaurant closed. I've never seen Chick-fil-A on that list. And they add more. And, and here's the thing is you go to a Chick-fil-A, and there's always a line. 2.30 in the afternoon. Why is there a line? I just want a simple chicken sandwich. How many other people want a simple chicken sandwich? Two? And, and truth be told, if we were to have an argument of our taste buds, I can't tell you it's absolutely the best chicken. I, I, I could, you know, we could make some comparisons and we could do a little wrestling. Is it absolutely the best? They have a good milkshake. It's okay, you know, but their fries are good. It's okay. But God is blessing them like crazy. Why? Because they understand first things, first fruits, first day, first week. They get it. Their owners were Christians. They said, we're going to do things in God's way. Elliot, I'm going to pick on you for a moment. You're not in my messages here. Some of you all know Elliot Walden. He's the CEO at Windstar Farm here. And they have honed in on putting God first in their business over the last several years. And they said, we're going to do this the right way. And they have seen unprecedented success in the horsing industry. The more and more they're like, we're going to put God first. We're going to treat our employees that way. We're going to honor God in everything we do. And his business has just thrived. And if you got to know Elliot, he's as common as common can be. He's a blue jeans, t-shirt type guy. Let's just hang out. Let's just have some fun. See, when people are having financial problems and things aren't going right, they come to me, preacher, I need some help. What are we going to do? How do I do this? You know, one of the main questions I asked right from the very beginning, are you tithing? I said, what? I'm in... I'm in $40,000 worth of debt, and I'm upside down on my car, and I can't pay my bill. Are you tithing? You know where I learned that from? That's what the preacher said to my dad when my dad lost his job. My dad was living on an unemployment check. Glenn, are you tithing? No, you need me to start doing that. My dad started tithing in the very beginning at that point and started trusting God. And my dad will tell you, if he was alive today, never missed a bill. God took care of our family. He covered us. He took care of it. See, it's not a financial issue. It's the fact that first things belong to God. When you put things first, God watches over his children, cares about you. And if God isn't first, then nothing's going to last. Things fall apart. Stress continues to grow. Worry continues to grow. I, I want to challenge you. Do something weird this year. Draw a line in the sand and say, God, when it comes to the stuff about houses and cars and paying bills and, and food, and all this, I'm done worrying, and so I'm going to do it your way. Start doing it God's way. It's amazing how worry starts to go away. You put God first today and every day. You put God first in every area of your life. And you put God first in your marriage. That's why grace marriage is so important. I think it's a good okay, God, we're putting you first. We're going to learn how we put God in the middle of this marriage, and we put God in the middle of marriage. Also, the marriage is thriving. See, when you work hard, you save for the future, you do things God's way, you put God first in everything, then many will start to call you weird. 
You watch out, though. You become weird and you watch worry just melt away. Church, I just want to ask you, will you be a weirdo with me this year? Will you be a weirdo? That's what God wants us to do. Bow your heads with me. Father God.